a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. And the problem that God has with that is that he didn't command it or institute it. He, he, he only wants images that he commands and institutes to be made. And when he makes himself, when, it, when the scripture says that Jesus is the very image of God, then he has made an image of himself for us, Jesus. And if we were to not have pictures of Jesus, then we would be breaking the second commandment. But now all this rests upon this moment and that you must do the right thing in order to reap the benefits of this. If you're going to be forgiven, if you're going to be atoned for, if you're going to get the imputed righteousness of God, you must then do this. And and this is what's so terrible about what we call decision theology is that it, it takes everything away of the gospel and puts it all back on the law. I mean, this is a stop the press sort of thing to see God, you know? Wow! That's amazing! Stop the song! Tell us about that! That's great! Welcome to another edition of everyone's favorite Lutheran theological game show, Table Talk and Radio. news outlet. And news outlet. What's that? Home for journalism. Home for uh, authentic, serious, uh, and s- sound Lutheran journalism. And churchmanlyship. Churchmanlyship. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's my buzzword, churchmanship. Wait a minute, I don't know what it means. Isn't this a special edition of Table Talk Radio? <laughs> yes, you reminded me of that right then. And that is, this is the name that name bonanza show. Whoa. In other words, we're going to play the game Name That in three different forms. First up, oh yeah, Name That Century. <laughs> then next is Name That Theologian or something. And then next is Name That Church Body. Hoo dang! That's good. Oh yeah, that's the one I missed. Church, name that church body. I know I was forgetting this something. Is, this is a uh, name that is how we make games. When I was a kid, we used to make games by just putting fight at the end of things. We make games by just playing name that in front of things. So like rock fight, stick fight, so, fist fight. So just to give you a uh, idea of how much fun today's show is going to be, we're going to play name that rock, name that stick. <laughs> Name that fist. <laughs> That'd be a good name. That's the game they played with Jesus. Tell me who struck you. Remember that? Yeah. Name that fist. Nice. Well, I think first we do uh, some buzzwords. So do you have a buzzword, Pastor Walker? I do. Okay. Uh, apocalypse is my buzzword for you. Hey. What's going to be... What? That's kind of relevant. It is? Yeah. Do you know about the new uh, Left Behind movie coming out? Oh, I heard about that. I thought you were talking about the zombies. You know, I, I was teaching about the zombie apocalypse in Bible class the other day because we read Psalm 27, which says, When my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Does that not sound like every zombie thing you've ever seen? No, it now, doesn't. apocalypse means, it's a Greek word, apocalypsis. Calypsis means a veil, like a veil. What's another way to, you know, the thing over your face. Hidden. Or over your whatever. And apo means from, so ap- apocalypse means from the veil. So it's the, so like the you got to imagine the moment when the bride is walked down the aisle by her father, and he then takes her veil and lifts it off of her face. That's an unveiling. That's what apocalypse means. So I've always wanted to preach the wedding sermon, uh, the beautiful apocalypse. <laughs> I like. How it. do you think that would go? The bride would be like, "What well, you say? What? Huh? I think that'd huh? be a hit." 
Now, um, the, the, the reason why the Revelation is called the Apocalypse is the very first verse of Revelation, uh, chapter 1, says the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. So the picture is that Jesus is behind the veil. We can't see it. But that for John, this veil is pulled back, apocalypsed, so that we can see Jesus sitting on the throne. So that while everything else seems miserable around us, we know that the one who is dead and raised for us sits on the throne of the universe. Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Okay. My theological buzz word for you is Apollinarianism. What and the? Uh, that's a heresy that says that Jesus was not a real man, but not totally divine either. <laughs> um, so it suggests that he had a human body and a human soul, but his mind was overtaken by the eternal Logos. Yeah, oh, I heard about that. that was uh, condemned as a heresy. It's named after uh, um, Apollinarius of Laodicea in the 4th century. So, Yeah, they forgot to open the door when Jesus knocked. You get it? It was to the church at Laodicea that oh, Jesus says, gotcha. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> you remember All the right. picture of Jesus who's knocking on the back door of the Mexican food restaurant? I, <laughs> do. <laughs> I, I do remember that. Got some emails here. All right, let's hear it. Man, we got some good emails here. Uh, our listener, this I think maybe he might be the one listener, Chris Tillamook. He lives in the middle of the cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, writes an email. Uh, just thought you should know. This his his uh his email's titled "No Wiki Fourteen Say It Ain't So." <laughs> uh, just thought you should know. I just threw up looking at the Wiki Fourteen Twitter feed. Wait, wait, wait. Before you continue, can you explain to those listeners who don't know what Wiki Fourteen is? Well, I thought you wanted me to explain what Twitter is. <laughs> Twitter is a social media thing where you're limited to haiku length statements. <laughs> Uh, and the Wiki 14 was this church growth conference. Oh, no, 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 no. It was a sacramental entrepreneurship conference <laughs> down in Texas a couple of weeks ago that got us all in trouble. Yeah. Boy, being haters. Yeah, we uh, got in trouble for... Uh, you, yeah, we. Me, mostly. Did you get in trouble? <laughs> no, I just watched you. You should do anything. But... You should be on Twitter, for but... heaven's sakes, just because of all the fun. Why is the, why is the one... Uh... Teaching false doctrine, not the one getting in trouble. <laughs> That's right. I don't know. It's a good question. You should ask people who know uh, who are in charge of that sort of thing. Okay. Now, I sh you should also know this thing that I was just going to tell you, but forgot about Wiki fourteen and the hate tweets. Oh, right out of my mind. Anyway, uh, Chris continues. Uh, they. The Wiki 14 guys aren't just hijacking evangelical Pentecostalish methods and mannerisms in the name of confessional Lutherans. So sad to see evangelicals going to the conference in Texas thinking that they're actually going to see a bunch of Lutherans. Also sorry to see Concordia Universities involved in it. I thought I was looking at some sort of promo stuff for an Assemblies of God conference or a <laughs> Louis Giglio passion tour. No, I think they are getting beyond that. Phrases like made much of and rockin' singin' to our king and relevant truth and bring God the glory. Jesus was our guy, but, he, but he's not Christian. Encourage them to baptism, reflect the culture, pre-blessed and finally catalyst leader. All make me think I'm no longer in the Lutheran realm, but back into the delusional, missionless, destructive business model sect of the almost not Christian church. That right there is a rant. <laughs> you know it's bad when the following tweet is posted by one of the attendees. 
If your church does not reflect the culture of your community, then you need to reshape your church. Oh, Lord have mercy. And the tweet, quote, It's not called the Great Suggestion, it's called the C Great Commission, is literally, I kid you not, verbatim from the revivalist slogan-like language of the Assemblies of God evangelists that would run around the church circuit and try to stir up mass revival. Are you trying to tell me, Chris, that the latest and greatest thing in the LCMS is just revamped from other church bodies' failures? Clish, that, Chris continues, that, that cliche was like on the, the lips of every, of every Assemblies of God youth pastor and camp speaker for the last 10 years. Probably still is. <laughs> the only good thing on that Wiki 14 feed are the real Lutherans posting hate tweets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the best of show goes to Hans Feeney of Lutheran Satire for his tweet, Sacramental entrepreneurial is a 21st century phrase, meaning I don't understand church words or business words. <laughs> <laughs> the runner-up also goes to Hans with his tweet, quote, The point of Wiki 14 is to verb nouns that have never been nouned before. <laughs> <laughs> the Rogue Axe Award goes to Pastor Wolfmuller for his excellent show of courage in the face of battle and utter desolation. His tweet, quote, Mission is to vocation, what cancer is to body, stands as a bright, albeit painful, flare in the midst of the stormy, dark, and tumultuous sea of movement without foresight and zeal without knowledge. All the best, Chris. I just thought of a new game we could play. What's that? Uh, we could play Which Sin is Worse? Now, we would admit that all sin is grievous before God, but before man, there is a difference between sins. So, like, you don't get the same punishment if you uh if you kill a guy versus if you steal a piece of bubble gum right i mean right. There's a... sure so uh, let's just play a quick round uh pastor which <laughs> sin is worse i know what you're gonna say <laughs> the predictable pastor let me just guess what you're gonna say <laughs> tweeting false doctrine or hate tweeting against false no doctrine. i was gonna say something like burning someone's house down or preaching false doctrine <laughs> oh you were mm. yeah well look the, uh False doctrine burns down the house eternally. Yeah. I'm totally against false doctrine. Yeah. Then, then we could play uh, <laughs> hate tweeting <laughs> or preaching false doctrine. I got a, this idea of mission is to vocation with cancer is to body. I've got a little grief about that now because, but mission, look, I'm convinced that mission is a, is a, is a military word brought into the business world and doesn't apply to the church. So that you can just as well ask what is the mission of the church as you can ask what is the mission of the Wolfmuller family. I mean, it could be that we're all hungry and it's dinner time, and so our mission is to go get dinner. That's just a weird way to think about it, though. But the church is much more like well, a family than it is a, a business well, or What about Missio Dei? Well, that's just saying mission of God in Latin. What, some <laughs> guy, and, you know, what good comes from the whole Missio Dei whole conversation? I mean, that comes out of the, out of the evangelism ecumenical movement of the 1900s, which is all bound up to post-millennialism. But it's Latin. <laughs> My bad. You can't argue with Latin. You make a good point. <laughs> when we come back from this commercial break, we're going to play Name That Century. And you can send us an email. Questions at Table Talk Radio. You can hate tweet us. No, you can't. <laughs> yeah, you can. Oh. At B. Wolfmuller. <laughs> I'll be right back. I'm on top of the world. I'm on top of the world. It's really classy up here. Table Talk Radio will be right back. 
Which century was a game that crashed and burned, not to be confused with the game we're about to be a great success? Name that century, which will be much better. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to this. Oh, now, yeah, this is the too. game where... I got one thing. Do you have two things? Or... Uh, Let's see. Sure. I could have as many things as you would like. Um, this is the game that makes uh, church history a big hit and makes it wildly fun. Um <laughs> Right? <laughs> so, Pastor Wolf and the, or my, myself. I well, love I love how you're selling it, man. <laughs> I think so. This is like your story about how you convinced everybody that your food was good. What's that? The longer you wait, the better it tastes. <laughs> no, just just giving a, a positive spin on it, and everyone's like, "Yeah, this is fantastic." Oh yeah, that's true. That's a true story. Did I tell you that story? I must have. <laughs> yeah, you told me all kinds of things in Madagascar that I won't repeat. Um. Well, so I will give a, uh, or you will, one of us will give a event in church history, and the other person has to uh, uh, to guess what century that event took place in, and then we'll see how little the both of us know about church history. So that's yeah, like that sounds game. like a great game. I don't see how that could be a failure <laughs> at all. I know. I mean, how, where could this go wrong? I mean, church history is so fun that you hardly need games to make it enjoyable. <laughs> That's why every church history we game we've played, oh, <laughs> yes, has been a huge hit. Uh huh. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'll go first, and it sounds like you only have one. I got a couple now. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I'll go first yeah. anyway. Yeah. Uh, the first event in church history in which you need to name that century would be Jerome's completion of the Latin Vulgate. Oh man, that's hard. <laughs> hey man, that's really hard. That's a lot of centuries hey, to guess between. That's a long time ago. Jerome, he was a he was a saint made most famous for translating the Latin Vulgate. You know the problem with Jerome, though. I'll tell you. I mean, one of them. He was a, he, Jerome wrote a ton of stuff, did a lot of things, knew a bunch of languages. Probably the last guy in the whole church for oh, a thousand years to know Hebrew. Um, but he he wrote this great thing against Valentinian no uh, who did, against Helvidius on the perpetual virginity of Mary. That's a famous thing. Luther refers to it. What does Luther say? Helvidius, that fool, received a fitting answer from Jerome. Trouble is, uh, Jerome made a couple of key mistakes in his translation that really informed Catholic dogma, because the Church didn't go back to the original for a while. Uh, including the biggest one was the Genesis 3.15 mistake. Remember this, where it says that in the original, uh, uh, the Lord is talking about Jesus, and it says, he will crush your head and you will crush his heel. And in the Latin Vulgate, it says, she will crush your head. Oops. And so instead of being the Messiah, it was understood to be Mary being prophesied there. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. Anyway, I don't know. I don't. I can't remember what year Jerome was. So I think he was in the 400s. So I'm going to say fifth century. Jerome began his translation in 382 to complete the work in 405. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> That's points there. Boy. I haven't got points on this show. I, I mean, we might as years. well play pin the tail on the donkey blindfolded. <laughs> Jeez. All right. That's how it's going to go. <laughs> 200 points. Um, boom. Wait, he started in what year? 382, and he finished in 405? Yes. It took him 23 years to do his translation. It's amazing. That's a long time. That's a lot of years. <laughs> 
That's uh, anything- my imitation of Jerry Seinfeld imitating. <laughs> yeah, we've horse. been through this. We don't have to rehash that again. That's um, a lot of rehashing. Yeah, so Latin was the language of the scriptures, the language of the day, the language of the church, uh, for quite some time until Martin Luther comes along. Is that right? Yeah, well, in the West, you have the Eastern tradition, sure. which has the scripture sure. in the Greek and then you have the Western tradition, which has it in the Latin. And really, it's the Eastern, it's the Greek church and the Latin church for years and years. Now, Luther comes along. The, Latin had kind of died out as a language, and uh, yet it was still used in the academies. They would lecture in it. They would, if they were writing anything, it was kind of the universal language. So Luther writes a bunch of his most famous stuff in Latin. I think the Bondage of Will was written in Latin. Is that a true thing? And our book of Concord, you know, the Christian book of Concord, which has all our Lutheran stuff in it. Here's what we believe, or here's at least what we say we believe. That's the book of Concord. It's uh, <laughs> It was in German and Latin. Both. All of it? Well, yeah, that's the copy I've got, German and Latin, <laughs> and English in there, too, <laughs> which happens to be the most helpful part for me. <laughs> okay. Um... All right. All right. Yeah. So, so the uh, the Catholic Church was all up in arms about the uh, about the Vulgate, and they said basically, look, you can only do this Vulgate. You they, they called us heretics for having it in, in the language. They caught up to us at Vatican II when they encouraged, you know, mass in the language, etc. Okay. Now, uh, and our buddy Martin Kimnitz has a bunch of stuff on the Vulgate and the bad doctrine that. Um, that Jerome let creep in there. Jerome, do you know what the, the thing I think Jerome did is he perpetuated this idea that when Paul talked about justification apart from the law, that the law he was talking about was the ceremonial law and not the moral law. So when we're, we're justified by, by faith apart from works of the law, he means apart from the works of circumcision and Sabbath day and the sacrifice and things like that. But not, then, then they would come along later and say, but that does not exclude moral works. So we're justified apart from ceremonial works, but not from moral works. And that's how the works righteousness creeps in. And this has been made famous by the so-called new perspective on Paul. Have you heard of that? I have. It just so happens that the new perspective on Paul was the same perspective that Jerome had in the year 400, which, by the way, if you're counting at home, if you're keeping score, does not count as new. <laughs> not so new perspective on Paul. I've got a uh, century for you. Hit me. Uh, this is the century in which the Nicene Creed was written. Hey, I remember the Nicene Creed. Uh, so the Nicene Creed um, was made famous by the uh, Council of Nicaea. If we wrote a creed, it would be called the Mean Creed. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you're hater. You're, you're just against creativity. The hater knee Creed. <laughs> okay, so uh, <laughs> the Nicene Creed, creed. G- gathers together to address this little heresy going around. Uh, known as Arianism. Arianism is teaching that uh, Jesus was um, not of that same substance of of God the Father himself. In fact, that was the defining word that would separate Arians from Christians, is that can we confess that uh, Jesus is of the same substance as the Father? Um, familiar from the Nicene Creed. Uh, so the, the council at Nicaea is going to be meeting um, to discuss this, 
shortly after um uh after Constantine legalizes uh Christianity in 313 and then uh there's all this discord and he wants to say all right we're going to study the scriptures we're going to uh see what we can confess together and what separates us and uh, that is going to take place in 325 which is at the beginning of the 4th century wow well done 325 Nicene Creed yeah. It was amended, by the way, in 381 in Constantinople. Mm-hmm. Nice. Where is Nice? Nice is, I think, in Turkey. Constantinople is definitely in Turkey. I've seen that place. That happened in 381. So, and that added the third article of the Nicene Creed. So, but this is this is right. So, fourth century. Boom! 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 All right. Um, write down points you, here. You want another one? Oh, yeah, do I ever. Hmm. I stood on the patio of the church where they first wrote and adopted the Niceo-Constantinopolitan Creed in 381. It's called the Hagia Irene, which means the Holy Irene, or I guess Holy Peace, if you want to translate both words. That church, I tried to break in. I I was checking all the windows so I could sneak us in there, but they were all locked at the time. (laughs) So we had to stand on the porch. And we read the Nicene Creed together. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. You breaking into historical landmarks. Okay. Um, what century... Who wants to come to Israel with us? We'll Na- break into all sorts of stuff. <laughs> all right, so name that century. Um, Thomas Aquinas finishes his uh, Summa Theologica. Oh, boy. Uh, this guy, Pastor Flammy, the Uh-oh. other pastor here... By the way, how come Pastor Flammy hasn't been on the air yet? I just told him to come in here and come on the you, radio. He'll be world I famous think I know why. Listeners. I why? know why. You why? haven't even told him that he can come on the show because you're afraid of him stealing the show. I, he does it every Sunday around here. <laughs> intimidating theological presence. He loves old Thomas Aquinas. Oh, does he? Oh, yeah, he's a huge fan. Does he know what century he finished it? Oh, no doubt. He probably knows all the things about him. <laughs> Let's see. The question is, has uh, he rubbed off on you? <laughs> the answer is no. The only thing I know about Thomas Aquinas is I got into a fight with a bunch of priests drinking martinis about something that Thomas Aquinas said one time. This was pretty good. I was reading some Lutheran stuff, and they were complaining about Thomas, who said that uh, penance is the plank that we cling to after the after the ship of baptism has crashed. Now think about that for a little bit. You get baptized at it fixes all your sin problems and things like this. And that goes along just fine until you commit some sort of sin. Then, boom, the ship of baptism crashes. And now you're floating in the open sea, clinging to penance for your life. That's Thomas. And these priests didn't believe that he said it. And you proved them wrong at, oh, at did Don's I ever. guest house. Don Hall's guest house over there, Martinis. I bet they give you a real big tip on that night. All right, we're going to take a break. More Table Talk Radio and Name That Century right after this break. Don't go away. Table Talk Radio. It's incredible how well our good looks translate to radio. 
Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Pastor Wolf Miller is trying to figure out, even though he thinks he has some kind of an authority on uh, Thomas Aquinas because he once, long time ago and far away, debated Catholic priest with martinis about a random quote. I will of let Thomas you know Aquinas. that I was not drinking martinis. The question is. Does Catholic he actually know what century Thomas Aquinas finished his famous work, well, the Summa Theologica? No, but I can <laughs> guess just as well as anybody. And I'm going to say, I think it was early 12-something. So I think 13th century. Boom, shakalaka. <laughs> he pins the tail of the donkey again. <laughs> It was like twelve oh five. We should we should play name should. that decade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be a winner. <laughs> All right, you got it. Uh, twelve seventy two was when he. Oh, finished whoops! It. Uh, wrong side of the twelve. That's two hundred points there. It is. Summa I need, Theologica, I need one the, more. The height of scholasticism. This is, by the way. So, you want another one? Yeah, I want right. another one. I'll give you another one. The Council of Trent. What is the Council of Trent? <laughs> you mean uh, name that century? Um, name that century. So Council the Council of Trent, of Trent was that uh, uh, gathering that got together um, towards the end of the Reformation to discuss what are we going to do about these dirty Lutherans who who are messing up our system of indulgences. One day I'm going to be walking along uh, and, and there's going to be two guys named Trent, and I'm going to say, a council hey, look, of Trent. it's the Council of Trent. <laughs> That'll be hilarious when it happens. Uh, I'll report back. You, you planned these jokes in advance. Like, hey, 10 years ago I had this idea for a joke, and now I finally get to use it. Hey, Trent, That's right. what was That's that what, joke again? When I walk outside and my kids are uh, they're eat, they're eating bugs, and I'll be like, hey, it's the diet of worms. <laughs> That'll be hilarious. Oh, it's a, it's a lonely place in Aurora, isn't it? It's just, just thinking you. I gotta think of some more theological you jokes be that can be popular. Ready, ready for the punch? No line. wonder you're such a big hit at pastor conferences. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, the, now the answer for Trent was to let's just anathematize a bunch of people. If they're reading their Bible, you're you might be anathema. Now for that, you can uh, review a past episode of Table Talk Radio. Which, by the way, Pastor Wolfman, I have to I have a quick bone to pick with you. Yes. On our homepage, you made this nice little YouTube on tabletalkradio.org, this YouTube video of our show, You Might Be Anathema If. Yes. And you spelled anathema wrong, and I told you about it, so you corrected it, and in your correction, you spell anathema wrong. How do you spell it, man? I don't know Hebrew. <laughs> How do you spell anathema? Well, the second time, you forgot like the M or something like that. So you need Nathama. an M in there. Thumb. Anyway. There's not an M in there? So the Council of Trent... How did I even correct that? I don't know how to do that. The Council of Trent meets sometime right towards the end of Luther's life. And so that's going to be in the 16th century. Uh, What? Wait a minute. What is six? Oh, yeah. The 16th century means the ones that start with 1500. Correct. Never keep that straight. You yes, just, you're right. You just take the first two letters and plus one. Yay, 200 points. Yay. Okay. 1545 to 1563. In Trento, that's also how you pronounce Trent in Italian, I guess, and Bologna, northern Italy. How do you spell Bologna? Bologna, that's Bologna. B-O-L-O-G-N-A. Bologna. Is that how to spell Bologna? 
Like bologna sandwich? Maybe. Do you think that we say, that's bologna because of the Council of Trent? Oh, I'm sure. That's probably where it came from. Okay, I think it next, is. Next up, we're going to play a little Would game you, called uh, Name that. that Theologian. Uh, this is where we read a theologian, and you have to name who that theologian is. Any By questions? the way, from now on, I'm, <laughs> I'm. Uh, <laughs> could you clarify that? Um, well, first, I'm going to be translating my tweets into Latin, <sighs> so so that they'll come with more authority. So instead of mission is vocation, what sickness is the body? I'll say missio advocationi corpus molestum est. Mm-hmm. You got it. Got it. How, how can you de- de- deny that? And I have a name that theologian quotation. Bring it. In Latin. Oh, never mind. Asidat verbum ad elementum et fit sacramentum. Okay, go again. Asidat verbum ad elementum et fit sacramentum. Uh, the word... Uh, see, that's the... Um, Oxidat means joined. Ad elementum means... The word. To the elementary school. Et fit, it fits... Sacramentum. That means sacramental entrepreneur. So let me just translate. Here's a rough translation. <laughs> if you have an accidental word at the elementary school, it fits with your sacramental entrepreneurship. I think that's. I think that's a good. That's a good English. Equivalent. <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay, maybe it means this. If the word is joined to the sacrament, wait. If the word is joined to the element, it becomes a sacrament. Ah, there it is. Okay. All right. Do I have more quotes from this theologian? No. That's. Do you want more? Yeah. Uh, let's just start with that. We one. usually we we, we usually uh, play this. Um, you know, with three you didn't quotes. Clarify that in the rules. We've always played name that theologian with three with three quotes. I didn't even know we played this game before. Uh, so, uh, here's, here's, if then, um, I guess this on one quote, I get a thousand points rather than 200. Deal? No, I'm getting more quotes. Okay. Talk about that one, though. Don't you remember the games are just an excuse to talk about theology? Oh, yeah. Well, this is true, by the way. Um, so that, uh, uh, so, I mean, here's this kind of funny thing about defining a sacrament. I mean, I don't think it's really useful to, to, to lay out this, um, kind of definition so that we can uh, fit things into it. But rather, I think that we can just look at what the Lord gives us and kind of group these together. And I, and what we see is that the Lord is constantly, through the Scriptures, attaching His promises to uh, physical means. I think we see this in the Old Testament. You see uh, um, God attaching this this promise of healing in uh, to the people of Israel when Moses holds up the bronze serpent. Um, we see... Uh, uh, the 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 Lord promising the forgiveness of sins in this sacrifice of of animals and and everything else, and uh, here then in the New Testament He makes certain promises about uh, water. He who is who believes, he who is baptized and believes, is how, he who believes and is baptized <laughs> will be saved. Um, <laughs> That's this, not that important of a be, verse. Be baptized for the forgiveness <laughs> of sins. Baptism now saves you. He's making certain promises on things that are physical in our world and in the things that we can see and touch. And so he does also with 
uh, bread and wine. He says, uh, this is my body, this is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of sins. Now, let's say you have that water or you have that this bread and some wine, but you you take away the word of God. What do you have? Water, bread, wine. Because it's the word of God that, that is making the promise about this thing. But if you have then the word of God, uh, then there you have uh, a sacrament, I guess, as we could understand it. Feet sacramentum. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Okay, I got another quote. Ready? Mm-hmm. Therefore, man was united and in some sense commingled with the word of God so as to be one person. When the fullness of time was come and the Son of God was made of a woman, was sent into this world that he might be also the Son of Man for the sake of the sons of men. And this person, uh, angelic nature could prefigure beforehand so as to pre-announce, but it could not appropriate so as to be that person itself. Ah, this is nice. This is talking about the two natures of Christ, that uh, though uh, Jesus is born of of Mary, um, born of a virgin, and there in that birth you have uh, a little baby that did not exist before. And yet, though that is true, we know that Jesus um, is uh, begotten from all eternity, uh, that in his, according to his divine nature, there is no beginning to the second person of the Trinity. And so uh, while you do have um, uh, certain... Christophanies throughout the Old Testament of his uh, making an announcement of, of, of what is to come and, and who he is. Um, he is not yet a person of Jesus because he hasn't um, uh, united his divine nature to human flesh and blood. So this is a nice quote. Yeah, true enough. It is. You want one more? I do want one more. Uh, let's see. I got. Let me just flip to page here. <laughs> They, then, who see their own mind in whatever way that is possible, and in it that trinity of which I have treated as I could in many ways, and yet do not believe or understand it to be an image of God, see indeed a glass, but do not so far see through the glass, him who is now to be seen through the glass, that they do not even know the glass itself, which they see to be a glass, in other words, an image. And if they knew this, Perhaps they would feel that he, too, whose glass this is, should by it be sought and somehow provisionally be seen, an unfeigned faith purging their hearts, that he who is now seen through a glass may be able to be seen face to face. Okay. So this uh, theologian is talking about uh, Trinity glassware. We'll be right back. (laughs) I'm going to take the break to ponder who this could possibly be. And on the other side of this break, render a guess. I have a uh, theologian for you to guess, Pastor Wolfmuller. I can't and then wait. If we I have, bet it's Martin Luther. If we have time in the last segment, we're going to play some Name That Church Body. You have uh, comments or questions for us, give us a call, 1-800-385-SOLA, or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. It's not a radio show, it's a relationship. Stay tuned for more Table Talk Radio.
Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. So we have a theologian that says, uh, talks about, first of all, that the Word uh, makes a sacrament. Uh, second of all, that uh, we have the two natures of Christ. And third of all, I don't really know what the third, <laughs> third quote was about, except maybe that this figure had taught previously on the Trinity and others did not uh, agree or come to the same understanding or confession. But uh, uh, maybe that's the point. That it is not about an understanding but a confession. So I'm going to venture a guess that this is the theologian Martin Luther. Oh. You want to guess again? Not really. <laughs> this is. I was tricking you, though, because the first one was Luther quoting St. Augustine. That Boom. doesn't count. Boom, shaka-laka-laka. So I, I get some feet. points, then. No, I, I no. Get, the I get, one. like, 50 points because you were yeah, reading yeah, Luther. Yeah, yeah, no. Then the other <laughs> ones were straight from Augustine on the Trinity. Okay. Or Augustine, if you want to be kind of, you know, arrogant about it. <laughs> All right. This like... is the, the everyman pronunciation of this game is Augustine. <laughs> and But if you're kind of, if you kind of have a, you know, a want to be British and sound of... smart, you say Augustine. That's, okay. By the way, that's the rule. I've got three quotes for you. What? Oh yeah, I get to. Play. I get to play. This you get game. to play too. The first commandment presupposes more than just the knowledge that God is real. It presupposes that we also understand the benefit incurs obligation, supreme benefit incurs supreme obligation, and we are indebted to God for benefits beyond all others. This Whoa. in turn presupposes that we know the. There's princi- a lot of presupposing happening here. This, in turn, presupposes that we know the principle, give to each what is due to him, that we owe God being loyalty, worship, and obedience. To deny him is the deepest form of treason, uh, much more serious than the ordinary sort. The commandment, true. The commandment does not presuppose that God needs our devotion, only that we owe it to him. If it is asked why he requires what he does not need— the answer is found in the nature he has imparted to us. As rational what? and moral beings, we are endowed with the capacity to recognize what is intrinsically worthy of our gratitude. To pay this kind of debt ennobles us rather than demeans us. To withhold it is a distortion of rational nature, which puts us lower than the beasts. Who is this? <laughs> How many times did the word presuppose happen in that one little quotation? At least four. Now, look, I was presupposing you were going to be reading a Lutheran, but with all the presupposing happening in this quote, I think it's got to be some sort of Calvinist apologist. <laughs> Talking about the debt that we owe and how it ennobles us and everything like that? I mean, I suppose it's true. It's just strange. Uh, you presuppose it sounds it's like, true. It sounds like, it sounds like the... Uh, it's, it sounds like the beginning of a kind of rational defense of hell or something like that. That's what it sounds like to me, but I don't know. I, this, this does not sound familiar to me at all. I'm out to sea. I need another quotation. You got it. <clears throat> okay. A paraphrase of the second commandment might be, you shall not use empty speech in connection with God. The specific application is the empty use of his name, to the word which means him, but by implication it forbids every form of light, careless, dishonest, contemptuous, uh, hypocritical, 
or blasphemous speech about him. To say that it is one of these things we can't not know, that it belongs only to biblical injunction but to natural law, is to say that we naturally understand certain things about the relation of speech to reality, a theme to which we return to the Eighth Commandment. What the heck? Even okay, so hold on. Hold, hold on, on. I'm hold not on. done. Give me, no, I know, but give me that last sentence again. Okay. That was a long sentence. Well, just part of it. <laughs> the last part of the last sentence. Okay. Um, is to say that uh, we naturally, uh, yeah, naturally understand certain things about the relation of speech to reality, a theme to which we return in the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment being... You well, let me finish, witness. and then maybe that'll become more clear. Okay. Even a liar's speech expresses something true. It may not tell us the state of the world, but it tells us the state of his heart. What empty God talk tells us is that where uh, there ought to be a God, there is emptiness. So, if if oh, I may, if I may venture on a on a um, yes, uh, uh, what that called a paraphrase, um, that what he's saying is that if if uh, someone is carelessly using the Lord's name in vain, that in some way is implying that there must be a God. Yes, I see. And he also refers to the Luther to the Eighth Commandment as the not bearing false witness commandment, which means he's either Lutheran or Catholic. Okay. Hmm. And he's talking about presuppositions. It's tough. He's a philosopher, which probably makes him a Catholic. But let's see what the third one has to do. So I've gone from Calvinist uh, apologist to uh, to Catholic philosopher. <laughs> okay, Uh-oh. this ought to be good. Yeah, we're going to jump now to the sixth commandment. Okay. Not only does every culture recognize marriage, but everywhere it is esteemed above other erotic relationships. Uh, even where concubinage is tolerated, a concubine does not have the status of a wife. Concubinage? That's <laughs> <laughs> what it says. <laughs> I believe you. Even where casual liaisons are tolerated, a pickup does not have the same status as a concubine. <laughs> Although exceptions are known, there have been they have been short-lived. For example, the medieval practice of uh, court, courtly love tempor- temporarily held the relationship of knight and lady higher than the relationship of husband and wife. But the most interesting thing about the practice is that whatever had value in it was eventually absorbed into our matrimonial traditions, and whatever could not be absorbed into our matrimonial traditions died out. Hmm. This is really interesting. So, okay, so so this is a... We have some sort of philosophical or ethical reflection on the commandments. It has a uniquely modern flair, although the word concubinage... Sounds <laughs> not modern. Uh, uh, this this could I think this could be a Catholic ethicist. Um, but that discussion of marriage makes me think not that this has to probably be a Lutheran. I'm onto the Lutheran thing because of the Eighth Commandment. So now I've gone from Calvinist to Catholic <laughs> to now a Lutheran. I don't wonder if this is one of our modern ethicists. Um, like, uh, oh, what are their names? Are they, we have the guys like Oswald Beyer and things like this. Um, uh, we have the Ehlert who wrote the Christian ethos, but I think that sounds too old to me. I'm going to say, who is Oswald Beyer? 
Who is it? I was just doing a little search to see if I could find what uh, church tradition he's from. But this is... Uh, oh, oh, oh don't, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. If it's not a Lutheran guy, then I know who it is. Okay. This is our friend, Jay Budishevsky. You got it. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. Okay. So this is from I, the book, What We Can't Not Know. Yeah, you said that phrase in there, talking about the Second Commandment, which it made me lean towards him, but I, I figured he was a Reformed guy and therefore would have the commandments numbered wrongly. That is interesting. Uh, I think that that uh, section on the First Commandment had some flavors of uh, Reformed theology, particularly the um, presuppositional side of which t- leans towards, I think, a Reformed theology, but I guess isn't inherent in, in it. Well, you, you, oh, look, this is published by Ignatius Press. Mm-hmm. I bet the guy's a Catholic. Okay. Um, and that would answer the the philosophy and also the presupposition business and also the commandments getting it right. There it Rudischewski. is. We have two minutes to play Name That Church Body. I'll read you the story. New church opened in Rochester. This church, more commonly known as this church, did not have a pastor or traditional church choir. Instead, the assembly held its first local service with an upbeat rock band rendition of Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror. Oh, man. Nearly 50 people attended the service at the Rochester Academy of Science Auditorium. Derek Stein, 29, of Camellius, Onogaga County, drove nearly 80 miles with his family to attend the service. Stein, with his wife, had been searching for a group like this. Quote, she grew up pretty religious, he said. She misses the community, but not the church. This is one of 30 new chapters to launch worldwide this Sunday and part of a rapidly expanding movement. The organization, which was founded in London in early 2013, now has 58 assemblies. The local organizer said the congregation aimed to be radically inclusive and give the secular part of the community an opportunity to be acknowledged. <laughs> I bet I know what this is. Yes? You got a guess? This is the... Uh... A s- church of Atheism. That's <laughs> right. The Sun- Sunday Assembly, also known as the Atheist Church. Yeah. Now, I think this is going to be kind of interesting because what we're going to see with this rise of, of Atheism Church is the exact same church growth techniques used as 5-2 Network and everybody else. <laughs> you watch. The same you kind watch. of band. Well, here that says they're already talking about starting small groups. Hannah says the small interest groups, which they call smoops, don't they know? Will meet in between the monthly services to give back to the community and foster camaraderie within the congregation. See, all they got to do is call it skeptic uh, entrepreneurships. <laughs> I mean, this is and, look. You don't. You don't. You don't have to have the scriptures to do this. That's the point. Uh, if, however, you believe that this is something divinely issued, you have to have the scriptures and Jesus. Yeah, there you go. Okay, well, <laughs> you about got me on a harangue. Good thing we're out of time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like confessing the Nicene Creed at the Sunday Assembly. <laughs> Doesn't count. Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk yeah. Radio. Table Talk Radio <laughs> is not for everyone. Please consult your pastor before listening to Table Talk Radio. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, hair loss, hallucinations, and aversion to incomplete sentences with aquatic imagery, psychosis, coma, death, halitosis, lung cancer, brain tumors, sleep gain, internal bleeding, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, an uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. For more information, visit tabletalkradio.org.